0: You're listening to The Preaching Podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. I'd like to uh, do just a little bit of a a recap and review from Revelation 20. And uh, before we get started with that, I don't know, fellas, do you have a banner up there um, up uh, for the screen, and if you have that, if you don't mind putting that up there, I just want to remind us, and we've talked about this throughout the book of Revelation, but this is a very simple uh, timeline of future events, and uh, we we find these events throughout the Bible. Uh, The rapture, uh, we'll talk about that in a minute, but uh, the rapture is the next event on God's prophetic calendar. Uh, It could happen tonight. Well, that'll wake you up, won't it? You say, well, I've had, I've had a long day. Well, guess what? Jesus could come back tonight. And that's the rapture. We'll talk more about that. Then the judgment seat of Christ in heaven, for those that are saved, they're raptured out, the judgment seat of Christ will uh, take place in heaven. There'll be the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, the preachers that ask, is it dinner or is it supper? There's your answer right there. It's in the Bible, the supper. Uh, marriage supper of the Lamb. And what a, what a feast. You say, why is there a marriage supper? Because There's a wedding. Uh, Jesus Christ is the bridegroom, and we are the bride of Christ. And what a wonderful day uh, that's going to be. What a wonderful uh, time that's going to be. And so that takes place in heaven. Meanwhile, on earth, after the rapture, immediately on earth begins the, the seven-year tribulation uh, that will take place on planet earth, seven years. And we've been through all those judgments throughout Revelation, the, the bold judgments, the, which are the bowl or vile judgments, the trumpet judgments, the seal judgments. But that tribulation will take place on earth. And uh, at the end of the tribulation will be the battle of Armageddon. And we saw that in Revelation 19. After the battle of Armageddon is the millennial reign of Christ, which is not really mentioned a lot in Revelation 20. It's just kind of referenced uh, several times as the thousand years. And that's the millennial reign of Christ uh, found throughout the Old Testament, found throughout the Bible. Uh, But that'll take place. And then after the millennial reign of Christ, is the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment is a judgment of the unsaved. The judgment seat of Christ, which happens after the rapture, that is the judgment for the saved, for the believers. And then uh, eventually, and we'll get to this in Revelation 21 and 22, but then we'll have the new heavens, uh, the new earth, and uh, it's going to be exciting. And I'm I'm excited to get into it. The Bible study is going to be exciting, but it's going to be even more exciting when we're living with the Lord forever and ever. And what a day that's going to be. Thank you, fellas, for that. Uh, you can leave it up or you can put, it, put the other one on. Either way is fine. I want to say, before we get into the message tonight, I want to give just a little bit of review from Revelation 20. We had Last week, we had the missions revival. The week before, we had Brother Sarah Vong. You remember, he was with us, missionary to Cambodia. And I just want to make sure I'm clear on a few things from Revelation 20. First of all, only saved people are going to enter the millennial reign of Christ. I want to make sure you understand that. There will be those of us that come back to rule and reign with Jesus at the Battle of Armageddon, those that have already been saved, those that were raptured out, the tribulation saints that were killed. But at the start of the millennial reign, uh, there will be Christians who are not yet in their glorified bodies. Those that survive the tribulation, those that do not take the mark of the beast, they, they're not going to have to die just so that they can live again. They will enter into the millennium in their, uh, their mortal bodies. Those people during the millennium, they will have children and grandchildren and so on and so forth. It's a thousand years. So there will be many people that will be born during the time of the millennial reign, and those people are not automatically saved just because their parents were saved. And how many of you know that's true today? Children are not saved just because parents are saved. Children have to come to a point, uh, young people have to come to a point where they trust Christ for themselves. And so I want to make sure I e- explain that, I want to make sure I clarified that. Also, we find out that at the end of the millennium, That is when Satan is loosed and he will deceive many, but he will not deceive anybody that has been saved. Once you're saved, you're always saved. You can't lose it. Uh, The Bible says, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You are safe and saved and secure in the hand of God. Revelation 20, verse number eight, one more uh, item I want to say for review from two weeks ago is that the battle that takes place after the millennium is different from the battle of Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon is Revelation 19. That is where the Antichrist leads the armies of the world together against Jesus, and Jesus comes back riding on a white horse, and the Bible says that uh, he opens his mouth, and by the the sword that comes out of his mouth, uh, all of his enemies are destroyed and defeated. That's Armageddon. The battle in Revelation 20 is when Satan himself leads the armies against Jerusalem. And the Bible says that's not Jesus coming back on a white horse because Jesus is already ruling and reigning in Jerusalem. But that's where God sends fire out of heaven to completely wipe out and destroy all of those who have gathered themselves against him. So I want to make sure we understand that those battles are different. Armageddon, led by the Antichrist, Revelation 20, that battle will be led by Satan himself. Now, you hear some terms like this. Are we, and and don't don't answer out loud, I'm gonna tell you, but you you hear people ask, are we pre-trib or are we post-trib? Now, the answer to that, you have to answer for yourself, but this church, our stand, and I believe the Bible teaching is very clear. We have a pre-tribulation Uh, stance when it comes to prophecy. We believe that we will be raptured out of here before the tribulation. And hallelujah for that. Uh, There are some that would say, well, I think Jesus is going to come mid-trib, halfway through. Well, first of all, if the rapture is imminent, meaning it could happen at any time, then if Jesus came halfway through the tribulation, it wouldn't be imminent anymore. Not only that, Jesus has promised us that he is going to deliver us from the wrath to come. Aren't you glad that we're going to be raptured out of here before the, the tribulation, before the judgment of God is poured out upon this world? But we are pre-trib, uh, we are pre-millennial in, in that we believe that Jesus is coming back before the millennium. Now, I don't know where, I don't know where people get this. But some believe, now now don't laugh, this is not not a joke. Some believe that this world is just gonna get better and better and better. And it's just gonna become just such a wonderful place and it's just gonna be perfect. And so at the end of the millennium, when it's just so perfect, that's when Jesus comes back and kind of takes over because we've got everything under control. Friend, I wanna tell you, this world is not even close to being under control. This world is out of control. And Jesus Christ is coming back before the tribulation. He is coming back before the millennium. And uh, he himself will sit on the throne and he will rule and reign for those thousand years there in Jerusalem. So we've talked about the rapture and I won't take the time for it tonight. But if you wanna know what the rapture is, the very best explanation is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter four. That's where verses 16 through 18, it says the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a what? A shout. I don't know what that shout's gonna be. I don't know if that's gonna be the angels. I don't know if that's gonna be all of us saying, hallelujah, here he comes. I don't know, but a shout. The voice of the archangel and the trump of God. You know, trumpets throughout the Bible were used uh, to declare an assembly. And that's what the rapture is. It is an assembly. It is the, the believer being called up, to be, be, be captured up out of this earth. Revelation 4. John said in heaven after the the church age, he said, I heard a voice from heaven saying, come up hither. And after Revelation 4, verse number one, you never find the church mentioned anymore throughout Revelation. You say, how come? Because we're not gonna be down here. We're not gonna be in the midst of this. We're gonna be with the Lord at the judgment seat and at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But the rapture is is described, it is explained so well in 1 Thessalonians 4. A shout, a shout, The voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those that are in the grave. Now, they're not in the grave because the Bible says they're coming back with the Lord. But their bodies are in the grave. And their bodies will be reunited with their uh, soul. And they're not going to have an old body anymore. Aren't you glad this mortal, the Bible says, is going to put on immortality? This corruption is going to put on incorruption. I got news for you, Miss Odell. So here's some good news. We're not going to need those prayer pages anymore in heaven, hallelujah, because there's not going to be anybody that's going to be sick or have cancer or disease or or aches or pains or anything. Uh, What a day that's going to be. But the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain. Now, friend, if the rapture is imminent, it means it could happen at any time, and it is. It is imminent. That means we could be in that group that are alive and remain. And the Bible says we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. What a blessing. And by the way, we ought to live every day as if this could be the day that Jesus comes back because he could come at any moment. I want you to jump in with me in Revelation 20 and we'll have prayer. I want to talk about i uh, give you quickly tonight, I want to give you a few takeaways. Uh, these are just some observations from Revelation 20 that I think will help us before we move on to chapter 21. If you, if you have a pen and paper, that's great. If you don't have a pen, there's probably a lady sitting somewhere near you that's got about 10 of them in her purse. She might be willing to sell you a pen or, or loan you a pen or something. But if you can get a pen and paper, I want to give you some things tonight that I believe will be a help to you as we recap And as we close out Revelation 20, and let's pray. Lord, help us, we pray. We need you, I need you. And I pray that you'd speak to our hearts uh, from your word. I thank you for this service tonight. Thank you for the privilege, uh, Lord, that you've given me to stand behind this pulpit and to be the pastor of this church and to to declare what thus saith the Lord. Father, I pray that you'd help me to say only what you'd have me to say, May I not say anything else. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd work in our hearts and challenge us tonight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Number one, I'm going to go, I say quickly, you know, quickly is relative, right? But I'm going to try to go quickly because I've got some takeaways I want to give you from Revelation 20. Revelation 20, verse number one, I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit. What do you think about if somebody's got a key, you think they have authority, right? If somebody's got a key to your house, they've got authority. If somebody's got a key at your job, they've got some authority. The angel comes, he's got a key. And then it says he's got a great chain. Well, what's that chain for? Well, verse number two says it's for the devil. Hallelujah for that. Aren't you glad that God's got a chain that can bind the devil? Aren't you glad that God has a key? God's got a great chain. And then it says, verse two, and he, and this isn't even God, by the way, this is an angel. He laid hold on the dragon. And he bound him a thousand years, verse three, and he cast him into the bottomless pit. Now, if you can can bind somebody, you're pretty strong. If you can pick them up and throw them, you're really strong, right? And this angel takes the devil, he binds him, and he casts him, He, he throws him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. Now, I think that means he shut up the pit, but I'm also glad he shut up the devil. Aren't you glad? That old devil needs to be shut up. And by the way, that old devil does a lot of talking, doesn't he? He's been talking to some of us this week. And some of us, we need to say, get thee behind me, Satan. Some of us need to resist the devil and he'll flee from us. But this angel will will, will shut him up and set a seal upon him. He will, he will make that bottomless pit so secure that nobody's getting in and nobody's getting out. Hallelujah. I want to say number one, first takeaway, and this isn't obvious, but God is greater than Satan. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever think otherwise. Don't ever think that God's greater in somebody else's life, but he's not greater in your life. God is greater than anything Satan throws at you. God has more power. He has more strength. He has more ability. And it's not even close because when it comes time to bind Satan, God doesn't even have to do it himself. He sends an angel to take care of business. And by the way, Satan will be bound for a thousand years and he won't get out. And you say, why a 1,000 years? Because that's the millennial reign of Christ. God could have locked him up for as long as he wanted to because God is greater than Satan. Number two, I want you to jot down, Satan is a deceiver. Now, there's a lot of bad things we could say about Satan. But this passage makes it very clear three times that that is what Satan does, he deceives. Notice uh, verse number three that he should deceive the nations no more. Verse number eight, and shall go out to deceive the nations. Verse number 10, and the devil that deceived them. Satan is a deceiver. Don't ever forget it. You're not smarter than Satan. I am not smarter than Satan. If we start listening to him, he will deceive us and he has the capability to deceive you and I unless we get anchored in the truth of God's word. Now, what does it mean to deceive? It means to cause to stray, to lead astray, to lead aside from the right way, to lead into error or sin. You know what Satan's trying to do right now in your life and in your home and in your marriage and in your children? Satan is trying right now to deceive you and to deceive me because that's what he does. And if he can get you off track, he doesn't have to worry about you anymore. If he can get you led away into error, sometimes Satan will lead into error. You know what that is? Sometimes that's doctrinal error. Sometimes that's somebody who claims to be religious, but they are in error when it comes to the truth of the word of God. Sometimes Satan tries to lead into sin. If he can't get you into error, he'll get you into sin. Or if he can't get you in sin, he'll try to get you into error. But watch out because the devil's out to get you. He is a deceiver, number two. Number three, I want you to notice that it is possible to stay true to God. You say, well, how do we know it's possible? Because it's pretty tough in 2023. These are some difficult days. And look at all that's going on. Well, look at verse number four. And you tell me if we've got it as tough as these people. And I saw thrones... And they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. I have heard of people in other nations that have been beheaded for their faith. I've heard of Muslim extremists that have taken Christians and missionaries and beheaded them. I've never known anybody personally that's been beheaded. But during the tribulation, there will be many that will be beheaded. For the witness of Jesus and the word of God, which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. Here's what I'm saying. That during the tribulation, there will be people who will say, no way. I'm not giving in. I'm not falling for that. I'm standing for God. I'm standing for his word. I'm not taking the mark of the beast on my forehead. I'm not taking the mark of the beast on my hand. I'm not having it. You can cut my head off if you want to, but I am standing for Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, if they can do it during the tribulation, you and I can do it today. If they can make it during the tribulation and stay faithful to the Lord, I want to say we can stay faithful to him today. It is possible to stay true to God. You know why we don't? Because we try to do it in our own strength. We we think we're smart enough. We think we've got it figured out. We think we can handle things. Friend, you and I can't handle anything. It is God who gives us the strength. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us the power. It is prayer and the word of God. And it is fasting that God uses to help us to stay true to him. Number four, not only is it possible to stay true to God, but it is worth it to stay true to God. And you know who's going to tell you it's not worth it? Satan. Satan. Because he's a deceiver. Because he wants you to think that it doesn't matter and it's not worth it. and, and, And it's just so hard. And it's really not gonna matter. But friend, I wanna tell you, it is worth it to stay true to God. Notice verse number four. All those people during the tribulation that stayed true and those that were martyrs, it says in verse four at the end of the verse, they lived and reigned with who? With Christ a thousand years. Notice with me if you would in verse number six. It says, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of who? Of God and of who? Christ and shall reign with who? With him a thousand years. Do you think those tribulation saints, do you think when they're reigning and living with Christ for a thousand years in the millennium, do you think they're thinking, oh man, this wasn't worth it? Oh man, we, 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 shouldn't have, we shouldn't have lost our lives during the tribulation. No, friend, it's worth it all. And we're not just talking about living with Christ for a thousand years. We're talking about eternity in heaven. And we're talking about a well done, now good and faithful servant. We're talking about crowns. It is worth it to stay true to God. Mark it down, number four. Number five, I wanna remind you tonight that God keeps track of time. Now, here's the amazing thing. We know that God knows everything. We know that God is in control. But you know what I see in verse number seven? I see something very interesting. God had Satan locked up in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And it says in verse seven, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Now, who's gonna loose him out of his prison? God's going to allow it. It's probably going to be that same angel that had the key, right? Now, a thousand years. God's marking time. A thousand years, and God's keeping track. A thousand years, and God has not forgotten. And you say, why is God going to even let Satan out in the first place? Well, because for all those people who have never made the decision to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they're going to to be faced with a choice. You're going to follow Satan or you're going to follow Jesus? And so one last time, Satan is loosed, but it's after a thousand years. Now, I want to tell you this. Sometimes we act like God's running late. Let's be honest. Because we've got something, we need it right now or we need it yesterday, right? Or sometimes we act like God doesn't know and and we're in such a hurry and we're trying to push and we're trying to make something happen or or, or we're we're seeing uh, this this surgery date that's coming up or we're seeing this this medical uh, procedure that's coming up and we're saying, God's gotta do something. And friend, I, I know I've been there. There's times where I feel like God's gotta do something. But I wanna tell you, God's not on my schedule, and he's not on your schedule. He's on his schedule. And it's a good day when we get on his schedule. And it's a good day when we say, I'm going to trust him no matter what. Though he slay me, Job said, yet will I trust in him. God keeps track of time. God knows where you are. God knows what you're going through. God knows the pain. God knows the suffering. God has not forgotten about you. Number six, quickly. I see in verse number eight, it says that Satan is loosed and he goes out to deceive. Of course, that's what he does. And he gathers together all of the, the, the multitudes to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Now, that's a lot of people. In verse nine, they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about. Now. The camp of the saints, it says in verse number nine, it's the beloved city, that's Jerusalem. And God allows Satan to gather this army and to gather this multitude and he allows them to completely surround Jerusalem. Now, if it, would be, if it were me, you know what I'd say? 100 miles. I'm not letting them get within 100 miles. I'm just gonna play it safe, you know. If I were God, I would not let them get completely surrounding the city of Jerusalem. But God lets them surround the entire city. You know, sometimes, and here's number six, sometimes God waits till the last minute to step in and deliver. Now, we think it's the last minute, but how many of you know with God, it's not the last minute? It's right on time. You see, the saints were surrounded, verse number nine, but it says this, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. All it took was the fire of God to fall and God's people were rescued, God's people were saved, God's people were delivered. Can I tell you, sometimes you may feel like God's waiting till the last minute to step in in your situation. I wanna tell you, he's able. You can trust him. I think about those three Hebrew children in Daniel chapter uh, 3 that were thrown into a fiery furnace. You talk about the last possible minute. They thought it's too late, but oh, it wasn't too late for God. God allowed them to go in the fire, but God protected them even in the fire. You see, God sometimes waits till the last minute to step in, but you mark it down. He always steps in and God always has the power and the ability to deliver his children. He has promised that he would. I think about the children of Israel at the Red Sea. We've been talking about that on the radio. And the children of Israel left Egypt. Remember the story? They got to the Red Sea, and now the Egyptians are chasing them, and they think, we are in trouble now. We've got nowhere to go. Uh, We've got nowhere to run. We've got nowhere to hide. And at the last possible minute, God parts the Red Sea. But get this. He didn't just part the Red Sea. God allowed the Egyptians to start chasing them. Now, I would have said, time out. That is way too close for comfort. That Red Sea could have come back before they started crossing, and I would have felt a lot better than to look back and to see they're following in our footsteps through the, uh, the, the bed of that sea. But you know what God's plan was? God's plan was to let those Egyptians get so close So those waters would come and those waters would completely destroy the enemies of God. Sometimes God waits to the last minute to step in. Number seven, it's found in verse number 10. Satan will be defeated once and for all. Somebody say amen right there. Satan will be defeated once and for all. Verse number nine, the fire of God came out of heaven, devoured them. Verse 10, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Now they're not there right now, but they get thrown in after Armageddon. So at the time of this writing, the beast and the false prophet will already have been in the lake of fire for a thousand years, and Satan gets to join them once and for all, and they will be there tormented day and night forever and ever. Hallelujah, Satan will be defeated once and for all. Number eight, God's records are complete, and they are accurate. God's records are complete, and they are accurate. Verse number 12, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. You see, sometimes we don't keep good records. Sometimes we don't keep records at all. And sometimes we keep records and we don't remember where we put the records. You know what I mean? And sometimes we write a reminder note to remember us where we put them and we can't even find the reminder of where we put it. You know? But God's records are accurate God's records are complete now this is referring to the sense of the dead who stand before God at the great white throne but I want to tell you God also keeps track of the things that the Christians do God remembers you and God is not unjust to forget your labor of love God knows your faithfulness God knows God sees your service for him And his records are complete and accurate. Number nine, quickly, hell is real. The Bible says in verse number 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Verse 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Hell is a real place. If hell is real, and it is, we must do everything we can to reach people while they still have time. And while we still have time, the day's gonna come when you're not gonna have any more time to be a witness. You're not gonna have any more time to share the gospel. But aren't you glad we have time right now? And hell is real. And may God burden our hearts for souls on the mission field, yes. But may God burden our hearts for souls right here where we live because people everywhere need Jesus. Lastly, number 10, here's the last takeaway I'll give you from Revelation 20. And I know there are others, but I'm gonna give you these and we'll stop here number 10 God is on the throne it says in verse 11 and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it the throne is not that impressive but it's the one sitting on the throne that is very impressive because the Bible says from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them God is on the throne he is so powerful he is so mighty that nobody can stand before his presence he is a holy mighty perfect just righteous God and I want to tell you he's on the throne he's in control verse number 12 and I saw the dead small and great stand before God boy they didn't want to stand they wanted to run They were called to stand before him so that they could be judged once and for all. I'm glad as Christians, I'm glad we will not stand before this throne, this judgment. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But if God is on the throne, and he is, I think we believe that, right? Do we believe God's on the throne? We believe he's in control. If God is on the throne, then I think we ought to worship him. That's what you do when somebody's on a throne, right? You worship them because they're the king. They're the ruler. they're They're the Lord. We should worship him. We should reverence him. If God is on the throne and he is, we should fear him. We ought to have a respect. We ought to have an awe when it comes to God. And then if God is on the throne, we should serve him. And I don't say should as in we have to, but I say should as in we get to. And what a privilege we have to serve the Lord. He's on the throne in your life, in your situation, in my life, in my situation. He's on the throne forever and ever and ever. His kingdom will continue. Now, the kingdoms of this earth, they don't last very long, do they? We got a presidential election coming up. We just found out yesterday that a speaker of the House uh, was voted out of his seat, his position. You know, this earth, things don't last very long, but I'm glad there's coming a day when Jesus Christ will be on the throne and he will be forever. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve him this week. Thank you.